All right, uh, let's take a, you got your Bible there with you, your phone. Let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter number 11. What am I saying? Do you have your phone with you? Of course you do. So uh, Matthew chapter 11. And um, if you want to keep that handy, there's a couple of portions of Scripture I'm going to have you turn to. Uh, if you, because they're, they're kind of lengthy, so if I read them, first off, I'll probably butcher it while I'm trying to reading it. Reading, reading, reading is it. And uh, so you might want to follow along a little bit. But Matthew chapter 11, the last three verses is where we're going to start. Uh, a number of years ago, and I don't really listen to this group very much, uh, but I do particularly like this song. And I do like the content of a lot of their songs, though their music is not necessarily my favorite. Um, There's a group called Mercy Me. I'm sure you guys have heard that. They came out a while back with a song called The Hurt and the Healer. You remember that? Uh, one of the reasons why I like Mercy Me is because they do have grace-oriented lyrics. It's not like one lyric is all about grace and the other one's all about how filthy your heart is and then the next one's like, I've been changed and then the next one's like, but I'm still dirty. And I, I listen, it's like there's some, and I'm not going to name them, but uh, there's, there's some Christian music I can't listen to. I would rather listen to like hardcore death metal than some, <laughs> some of that stuff because it sends such a, reason being because it sends such a mixed message. You know, so you're listening to it and you're like, ah, you know, you don't know what to believe and, or what to think or uh, it affects your emotions negatively or, uh, and it, it puts a way of thinking in your mind that does affect the way that you believe and eventually behave, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, so I enjoy that, that song, The Hurt and the Healer, because it, it marries this idea of the realities of the fact that uh, life uh, at times is just not good. It's just not. It's not. Uh, as one guy said, you know, the world comes at us all the time. It's constantly coming at us. People are coming at us. Our emotions are coming at us. Circumstances are coming at us. And, you know, there are times, you know, and while we do have the Holy Spirit living within us, we need to understand that our soul life, our mind, will, and our emotions does get worn down. You know, we, it does take a toll on us. Uh, mentally, emotionally, and even physically, uh, in many different examples, there's times where life just gives you the one-two punch. Um, and what we have to understand is that, first off, it's not, un and, and maybe you know this, and maybe I'm so generic and elementary this morning uh, that you're just going to check the, the autopilot, and that's cool, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times we think that it is, it's unspiritual to be in a place where you either feel like you are struggling or you're hurting or you've actually been um, you know, there's been some offense in your life that is legitimate. And sometimes we over-spiritualize it like it really didn't happen to us, you know, like, oh, we're a bigger person than that. And the fact of the matter is we really aren't uh, the bigger person than that a lot of the times. Um, our soul life still takes a hit. And you'll hear me use that phrase periodically when I preach the soul life uh, because it's a lot different than your spiritual life. Your soul life is just like who you are as an individual, uh, your spiritual life is who you are because of who, what Jesus has made you. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Obviously, your spirit is who you are, your identity, and who that is, is who you are connected with Jesus there. Um, and here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to people whom life has beat down. I mean, life just drop-kicked them square in the chest, you know. Um, and uh, they were attempting to do what's right. Uh, if we can do what's right, quote unquote, I don't, that phrase like has like a trigger warning in my mind when I hear it. But uh, not that you should do what's wrong. Anyways, I'll explain that later. Uh, these people were attempting to, you know, operate in a way that they felt like would please God. Um, and to be honest with you, they were failing at it. 
anytime we try to do that, like if we make it like our, we're just going to sit down and say, I'm going to do everything I can do to please, and more than likely what's going to happen is you're going to please God in these areas everybody can see. And there's going to be a lot of areas in which you don't, you know. Uh, so in Matthew chapter, let's just read it before I, before I uh, uh, pathoticate. Is that a word? Just too much. Pontificate, that's the one. Thank you, Theodore High School. In verse number 28, um, you know this verse. Jesus said, come to me, and I'm reading New King James if you want to read along word for word. Uh, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that is exactly what life feels like sometimes. Laborious and heavy. All right. Um, there's no sense in making it sound like uh, because we have a spiritual mindset that that's still not true. It is true. Life is difficult. Burdens increase. Uh, the responsibility of your day-to-day life can be weighty at times. Um, the consequences of the choices that you made or the cho- choices that other people made can be weighty. They're there. And, this, uh, sometimes I, and I, maybe it's just me because I am a professional pessimist that uh, it's easy for me to admit that. You know, it's because you know, it's like the glass isn't half full or half empty to me. My question is, is what's wrong with the glass? You know what I mean? That's the way that I look at things sometimes. Uh, it drives some people in this room up a wall, but that's okay. They'll have to learn to deal with it. <laughs> and so he says, come to me, all you are laboring heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says something very interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, if you know anything about farm life, which I know just enough probably to make me dangerous, a yoke is that wooden harness in the day that they would put over animals to pull a plow or whatever. It was used for work. All right? You didn't say, I think I'm going to relax and go throw the yoke on me and take a nap. You know what I mean? That's not what you did. Um, but Jesus, it's almost like he's playing a little word game with us here to get us to understand something. There's nothing about life that's necessarily what you, your responsibilities aren't passive. All right? The things that you deal with aren't passive. You have to deal with them every single day. There is a labor involved. Jesus is not saying there's not labor involved. What he's addressing here is how we go about the labor, how we view the labor where the strength for the labor comes from, all right? Because he says, take my yoke upon you. This isn't a piece of equipment that you use for work. He says, take and learn from me. He says, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what we don't want to uh, uh, ascertain from these verses is that Jesus is saying that there isn't a burden and that there isn't a yoke. Because he very clearly says that there is. He just says there's two different ones. There's a heavy one, and there's one that's easy and light. So that would imply the other one is heavy and hard, right? It's difficult, and it's laborious, and it's exasperating. That's one way. The other way is easy and light. All right, so it's very important that when we read these, it's sometimes when we read Scripture, we're like, blah, 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 easy and light, you know? And we overlook not simply what is being said, but also what's being implied here. What he's implying is that there is in life something that uh, things, many different things. Some have a lot of weight, some don't, but they're all responsibilities. They're all things that we deal with in life. Some of them are put on us by other people. Some of us are some of them are just put on us because we breathe air and we live on the planet Earth, this round spheric thing 
called earth, and uh, we live on that. And some of them are put on us because of our own choices. The most difficult ones that you will ever live with are the ones that you put on yourself because of your own choices. Those are the most difficult things. And there's, there need not be a different set of verses to address those. Uh, these, these verses, this truth that Jesus is teaching here still addresses your choices just like it addresses somebody else's choices, just like it addresses your day-to-day life, just from having responsibilities and breathing air. You know, and some of the worst and most damaging choices that we make as Christians are a result of seeking rest and ease and lightness apart from the yoke of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm telling you that not like I'm instructing you on this one, but uh, if ex- experience means anything, which really on the, you know, the tier of learning life, experience really is not the number one, you know. I mean, you can learn that a Mack truck can smash your head if you put your head under the tire, but wouldn't you just rather take somebody else's advice that you don't have to do it, you know what I mean? You know, so when we, may, when we look at life and we have, and, I, and I'm, I'm careful when I get in these scenarios when I'm talking about things like this, I don't want to be so absolutely vague that it makes no sense, but I don't want to be so specific not Pacific, but specific, that I overlook or I don't, if I start like, if I run a list of 10 things, this is what the human brain does. Oh, good, thank God, mine wasn't on that list. You know what I mean? That's what we do, you know? But so I don't want to go through and just list every scenario I can think of. First off, because life's too complicated for me to list every scenario. But what I can list is this, is that there is a multitude of choices that we make on a regular basis and we make those choices for one reason. We think that that choice is going to make our life easier and it's going to make it lighter. That's what we think. And when we step outside of what God has told us explicitly in his word, we find that it makes life more difficult. Our, and, and here's another thing that I've learned. I, the Lord like flipped the switch on in my mind about this years and years and years ago. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. It does not make a lick of difference if all your intentions in the world were the most innocent and pure and right. It doesn't matter, you know, and this is another thing that I've I've learned. The consequences don't care if you're ignorant or not. They don't care. You see what I mean? The pain of a choice that is made to try to ease our own burden outside of the person of Jesus Christ and who he is, not only revealed in his word, but who he is in us, brings about consequences that can be very weighty and difficult for you and I. I hope that's making sense this morning. It's the nature of sin to hurt us. It's the very nature of it. There's never going to be a time where we can say, well, I'm going to make this flesh decision, and it's probably, it worked out for so-and-so. You know, there's a lot more consequences than we deal with other than physical ones. I know that when I was wrapped up in legalism, every consequence to a sinful choice was some kind of physical pain. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you don't tithe, God's going to pull your thumb off. I literally heard that story once, you know. Um, You know, if you don't do this, God's going to give you cancer. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, usually now that I think back on it, it all revolved around giving money for the most part. Uh, But, you know, it's like I I heard one phrase. If I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times when I was a young believer. And that was, you can either give it joyfully or God will take it painfully. Good night. I mean, you talk about, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like the, it's like the Godfather or something. He's like, oh, I helped you, Gino. And, you know, he breaks your thumb for not doing it, you know. 
That was a pretty good Marlon Brando impression, by the way. Thank you. I will accept uh, donations for that. <laughs> or or else. That's right. That's right. I know who I'm starting with now. But uh, the ch- the change that we desire in our behavior is found in changing what we believe. That's fundamental. Uh, there's no. There are, there there isn't. I should say it that way. There isn't. There's not going to be, just because you have a positive mental attitude does not mean that your choices are going to carry any kind of different consequences to them. I mean, you can be positively, absolutely convinced with a smile on your face that this is the choice to make, but if it's in violation of the character and the nature of God and what he's revealed to us in his word, we still get the same consequences. It doesn't matter how positive we are, it's going to work out. What we believe is this, that believing that simply Jesus is enough, we need to believe that rather than guessing at which behavior or which person will be enough for us. And that's really what we're looking for a lot of the times. We're looking for some way of life that's going to be best for us, or we're looking for some individual to make life better for us, to meet needs for us that are deeper than just a human relationship. Or to meet needs that or use a way of life that, are, is, that we're trying to put on track to meet some sort of identification need rather than just simply allowing Jesus to do so. So this morning I want to show that rest, ease, and peace that our soul needs are found in the change that Jesus has already made in us and the changes that he will make through us as we rest in him. So the first one is this. I want to, we're going to look at three things about how Jesus actually changes you and I. All right? The first thing is, is he fundamentally changes you. And what I mean by that is at the very core, when you come to Jesus Christ, who you are at the very core is rearranged totally. Um, you know, it's like a strand of DNA, uh, and I'm not an expert in DNA. I know you're shocked at that, but I'm not. And, but I know enough about it to know you start mixing it up, uh, you're going to have some pretty big issues. I mean, you add just one extra chromosome, and we have people that have to live with a very difficult disease over something like that. I mean, you take one away, the same thing. Anything that's changed within that DNA fundamentally rearranges who that person is. I mean, just take, I mean, for, uh, you know, people that, that, and I'm trying to think of the, the name of the, uh, the disease that invades my mind, Down syndrome, that's it. Uh, you know, just imagine that if there was a way to go into a person's body and remove that extra chromosome. You know what I mean? It would literally change the kind of person that they are. From top to bottom, I mean everything. The way they think, the way that they look, the things that they desire, the the way that they took, everything. It would fundamentally change everything. And you see, when we came to Jesus Christ, he literally altered our DNA. He altered it. He changed it in such a way that in... I think we, we kind of lack in this ex- exactly how deep he has actually changed you and I. And I'm not saying that as an, as an accusation, so please don't take it that way. When I, if anything, it's an accusation towards me and not you. The Bible tells us this about the natural human heart. You've probably heard this verse in Jeremiah 17, 9. Now, when I say the natural man, I'm talking about a man that's never been born again spiritually, doesn't have a relationship with God because he's never had... Uh, he's never uh, acted, on his fa- acted on faith in Christ Jesus. So in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the next verse says in verse 10, uh, I, the Lord, can. is basically what it is. That's the Buddy Revised Standard Version, all right? 
And one of the things we have to understand, when we look out into the world, all the pain and agony that we see is a direct result of the depths of the brokenness of the human heart. Everything about it is. So there's no amount of, it's almost like a government fix sometimes. There's no amount of money that you can throw at the human heart that's going to change it. You know, there's no, there's no amount of, you know, any kind of program or any kind of to-do list that we're going to be able to apply to the human heart that's going to make it different. What God has to do is he has to step in and he has to reconstruct the DNA and make it as it should have been. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart are the issues of life. You see, the reason why people find themselves in the scenario they find themselves in when they're outside of Christ is not because they're stupid. They're not. 90-something whatever percent of the time. It's because they have a heart that they're making, they have a broken heart that they're making broken decisions from. So as a result, you get a broken world. Now, I agree that this is true. It's fundamentally true about every human that comes, every baby that's born comes into this world with a heart that is going to be naturally bent eventually the wrong way. That's why you don't have to teach your kids to lie, right? I don't know. Melissa, did you have to teach your kids to lie? I mean, there's one of them super good at it. I figured you did. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm Daniel. I'm joking, all right? I'm joking. <laughs> don't ignore me. You know me, heard me. You know me, heard me. So, so what did it do? Again, I'm not going to get into the depths of this because I did last time, but Ezekiel 26, 26, uh, the prophet's uh, telling about what's going to happen when Messiah comes. Uh, and he says, he's speaking to the Jews at that time, and this is something super important to remember, kind of a sidebar. When, in the Old Testament, when you see guys like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and they're speaking, they're speaking in the basis of the knowledge of their people. That's it. They're thinking Jews for the most part, unless God has specifically told them to speak to the Gentiles. So when he says this, it kind of you need to keep that in mind because God had the, an idea of taking it even further than even Ezekiel realized when he said, A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I'll put within you. And then he says, I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Or excuse me, I think I read that wrong. Yeah, I will uh, take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So did you catch that? There's something that's being removed and there's something that, be, that is being added. All right? The reason why that is so important is because for many of us as believers, we live in this dual spiritual existence. We kind of operate with this duplicity, this frustrating dichotomy that's in our lives where it's like, uh, you've heard this, this saying has become very, it's becoming more and more, it's like a resurgence of this as I've read different articles and different books. It's, uh, you know, totally what, how do they put it? It's like some Latin phrase, and I, I know it's disappointing I haven't brushed up on my Latin before the sermon. But uh, it's, it's like total, a total sinner and total saint in one kind of a thing, you know. And boy, that sounds really good, but it will make for the most schizophrenic spiritual people you've ever met in your life. You know, I'm completely a mess and completely right all at one time. Now, my behaviors might be a mess, but who I am is completely fine. And you see, when we make statements like, when we make a split dual identity statements like, oh, you're totally a sinner and you're totally a saint, listen, they lock people up in, uh, in padded rooms for thinking that in other situations. They do. Well, yeah, I believe I'm Muhammad Ali and Buddy McNorton. You know what I mean? Like, okay, there's some serious dysphoria going on in your mind there. 
or my mind, if I were to think that. And one of the reasons I know the heart of the Christian has been fundamentally changed on an experiential level is this. And I, I stick by this uh, very wholeheartedly. It is neither comfortable or natural for a Christian to operate in the flesh and live what we usually say, remember the phrase, live in sin? Who's heard that phrase before? You heard that one? It's not comfortable. And here's the thing about that. And the reason being is, is because our hearts aren't what they used to be. They're not what they once were. It bothers us. There is, and this is something I've been thinking about recently. There is just, the, we don't put a whole lot of uh, weight down on emotional consequences, do we? But emotional consequences have put a lot of people in a very bad place in their life, hasn't it? I mean, it is it's driven, it is, well, I should say, it has pushed people to put themselves in a position in life where they never dreamed they would be in, right? You've, you, either you have been there before, or you know someone very close to you that's been there. Just to where, at the, at the end of the day, there's only so long that our soul can hold up the consequences to these decisions of the flesh. And there's hurt involved. Jesus used the, uh, well, let, let me move. I don't want to go there just yet. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. I bet somebody's got that one memorized, don't you? 2 Corinthians 5.17. If, stop showing off, Melissa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. If any man be in Christ, what? Right. Wanna know what? Do you know the rest by chance? That's right. Now, let me ask you this. When you go to work, just, let's just say on a basic thing. You go to work Monday morning, and your boss, he or she is just a wonderful person that is always riding you, and you can never do anything right, okay? When that happens, when you get just in that very basic of a scenario, okay, that just basic of a scenario, do you, and you're mad, and you're upset, which I know I'm the only one in the room that gets that way. I get it, but just, just, just humor me with the illustration, okay? And you're upset, and you're sideways. Do you feel like a new creation in that moment? No, no, <laughs> no uh-uh. See, one of, the things that, one of the things that began to help me was the fact that, uh, and, and it's still helping me, so please don't take that as like some kind of thing I've arrived, because some of you know me too well to know that. The rest of you, I can dupe you for at least 10 more minutes. Is the fact that when your soul is in order, God is going to come to your soul and he is going to heal it in order, so to speak. He's not going to heal it in a way that you can't understand necessarily what's happening. Now, I believe that. You can disagree with it. It's fine. We can talk about it later, but that's just the way that I see him working. Because he comes to us with truth first which then calls on us to act on it willfully by faith. And then we experience the mental and emotional healing that comes from that. He's not going to do it the other way around. And the reason being is this. If he does it the other way around, it will never, ever last. You have seen it in, in, in Christian circles. You've also experienced it yourself. I know that I have. That's the, the, those moments where we're so rushed with something we make all these promises to God, right? Oh, come on. You know you've been there. You promised God you were going to set, you know, the JFK assassination straight before in order, you know, to repent or whatever the case may be. And we make these, these, this, these decisions in the moment where we mean it. And it's there in our heart. And we want it to happen. But you know what the problem is? 
The problem is, is we're, try, we're trying to heal ourselves backwards. We're trying to change the way that we feel about something before we ever accept the truth about what God has already said about it. It's almost like, just because we, it's, it's like, it's kind of like a person, like, uh, for example, uh, Martin Luther. He was, a, um, he was a Catholic priest for years, and you've, you've, you know, somewhat of the story. I won't, you know, bore you with the details of it all. But uh, he eventually came out of uh, Catholicism, um, started his own sort of a theological movement that we now call Lutheranism, all right? Um, and with, during his time in Catholicism, he had an intense desire to be saved and know his sins were reconciled. Right? He had the feeling that he was guilty. He had the feeling that he wanted to be right. So he would flagellate himself. He would lay out in the shape of a cross in front of an altar for days and days and days on end. Uh, he wouldn't feed himself. Uh, he would crawl up these stairs on his knees until he was bloody, you know, trying to make repentance for it. You know what he's doing? He's trying to heal himself backwards. He was trying to take what he felt and used it to heal himself. But the minute came when he read in the New Testament where it says man is not justified by his works alone, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, boom, he began to be healed emotionally and mentally and, and physically in a lot of ways because he was just completely destroying his body trying to make himself righteous. You see, so what does Jesus do? Jesus comes along and he says, all this hurt that you're feeling, that's legitimate feelings, that's legitimate hurt, he says, I want to heal it this way. Here's the truth that heals you. Here's the faith that activates it. And the consequences of believing and acting on those things results in the way that we feel changing. You see, that's why you can go up to a person. And I just had to do this the other day, talking with someone that was um, telling me, you know, that they deserve to be sad. They deserve to be upset. They deserve, they were this, that, and the other thing. They're making all these identity statements. That's why you can sit there and a person can talk to you that way and you can tell them every positive thing in the world about them that you feel is true about them and it doesn't change the way they feel. Because our opinions about the way, what a person is are going to be secondary in the responses to what God says that person is. We can only validate them on the basis of what Jesus says a person is. There's, I mean, we can do our best. And all our tensions can be well, but sometimes people just go so far down an emotional road that our words that don't carry any authority aren't going to make the changes in them that needs to be made. And so what God does is he comes along and tells us that in a creation-wise you've been changed and that you've been completed. We talked about this Wednesday night in Colossians 2.10. I'm about to go all King James on you here because... That's accidentally the verse I used in my notes, so buckle up, all right? It says, and ye. Now, ye is a word that also can mean you, all right? I'm joking, but that's no, true. And, uh, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. Now, that one little phrase, and you are complete in him, is so overlooked, but is so incredibly important. Here's why. Now, we determined that the last time, if you were here, the last time that I spoke that I eat cereal because I'm an American, all right? So that meme got passed around a little bit. I think that was Brian's doing, and I thank thee publicly. And so I'm going to use a cereal illustration, all right? I don't eat cereal as much as I used to, unfortunately. And uh, so one of my favorite cereals, public confession time, um, and there may be a box of it hidden in my house somewhere, hidden, 
anyways, <laughs> is Reese's, peanut, Reese's Puff cereal, all right? Uh, thank you very much. It's like little crunchy baby angels in a bowl of milk. It's wonderful. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I, I can't hear from back up here. I'm sorry. But uh, the non-organic version is the best. <laughs> it's made with like evil, you know, or something. I don't know. But uh, when you, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to instruct you here for a minute on how to eat this type of cereal because some of you need help, I understand. All right, so you get a bowl. You don't get the little mixing, you know, the little bitty bowl thing. Throw those things out the window. I've got this bowl at my house. It, is a, it's, it was one of my kids. It was a, it's a Lilo and Stitch, like, soup mug. It's, like, big and deep. It's got a handle on the side for some serious cereal eating. And uh, you fill that up, all right, with the cereal. Then you pour the milk in until the cereal, you know, begins to float, you know, and it kind of boop, starts falling over the side, right? All right, you don't stop there because you push it down into the milk, you scoop it off all the counter, you put that back on top, all right? You push it down because when you get it just a little bit soggy, it sinks and you can get more in. See, I've got like a flow chart on this, Melvin, you would be so proud. And uh, so uh, and then you pour more cereal on top, then you're ready to eat, all right? And you don't eat with like a teaspoon. If you eat with a teaspoon, Elijah, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, he's probably a cereal killer, more than likely. That's what my mom said I was growing up. I ate so much cereal. And uh, then you take the, a tablespoon, like, you know, a big one, like a mini shovel. And uh, that's what you eat cereal with. You have to dehinge your jaw to get it in your mouth. You know, you eat a big old spoon. That's what the word complete means. All right? <laughs> well, I know. Just boop right back into there. That's what the word complete means. It means cram-packed, jammed into the top full. That's what it means. So every time I see that word, I think about cereal bowls, okay? Hopefully you will too. It'll make you a better person as a result of it, I think. <laughs> Maybe not, I don't know. And there's what you'll remember about the sermon. Let's just go ahead and make an official announcement. That's it. I mean, that's, it's done. That's fine. I'm good with that. The way I see a sermon is this. It's like a shotgun. I'm just like, boom, and like, you know, 80 things go out there. Maybe one will hit, you know, and so that'll work for you, I hope. So, see, because of this idea of completeness, one of the things that we tell ourselves, and whether we mean to or not, is that we're lacking in some way. I need to add, I need to make myself this kind or a type of person. When the fact of the matter is, is you do not need to make yourself a type of person. What you need to do is relax, let the Word of God tell you who you already are. And you function from that. You don't function for it, you function from it. And I know maybe it sounds like a word game sometimes, um, but it really isn't. I mean, a preposition can make a huge difference, you know. I don't know, it's four prepositions. Don't wait, I'm sorry I asked that. Uh, there's too many teachers in this room, all right? <laughs> Just email me later, right? <laughs> now remember this, and to kind of segue into the next thing. Here's what we need to remember. Even as, because we're complete, because we're a new person in Christ, because we're a new creation, here's what we, this is, maybe put this in your mind somewhere. When we operate in the flesh, or we sin, or whatever the case may be, sin may change the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about God. But it does not change the way that God feels about you. Now, 
if that were to go off, if you were to drop that kind of a bomb in a legalistic setting, or if you were to even have dropped it on me, say, I don't know, do the math, you know, eight years ago. I mean, my, it would have been like that little brain explosion emoji. I'd have been like, what? You know, and I don't think so. You know, I don't know what kind of, you know, liberal rock you crawled out from underneath, but you see, because this is what we like to think, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but who cares? You can't see my notes, only I can. Um, we misunderstand the functional change that God has made in us too in this way. Because we misunderstand sin for this reason, because we see it solely as a judicial matter with God. That's the way we see it. You sin, God punishes. You sin, you die. You know, and, and that's the way that we see it. We see it like a courtroom setting. How many illustrations have you heard at church about how your sin and God and the whole courtroom scenario? Now, I'm not saying that one day that won't come to pass because it says in the book of Revelations that there's going to come a day where God judges all the secrets of men by the person, Jesus Christ. But, you know, at that time, the cross is not going to help anyone in that scenario. The cross has then moved from a place of rescue and relief for all of mankind into a place that declares the righteous judgment of God. So things are going to change. There's going to be a, a, a paradigm shift in that moment. But see, as of right now, because God is operating with us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, inviting all men to himself, sin, the judicial matter of sin's already been taken care of. It's already been taken care of. You see, in that, we think that God just punishes sin because it's wrong. Do we really think that we can reduce God down to something so finite as two choices? You see what I mean? Oh, God does what he does because it's right, and he, he doesn't do what he doesn't do because it's wrong. That is, God is so much more of a complex being than that. I mean, do you think that he just gave us the law just because he wanted us to not do wrong and just to do right? You think that was it? There's so, and, then, and see, when I began to ponder on these things, I felt like a little bit of a heretic, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking to myself, no, you know, do right. And I used to, grew up hearing this phrase in church, you do right to the stars fall. You just do right. Brian, you've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. You know, you just do right for the sake of doing right. Why don't they just say be a moralist? Why don't they just say, well, whatever, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, just do right. You see, the fact of the matter is, is this, because we have been changed internally, functionally we've been changed to where no longer do we have this reductionist view of sin, like just don't do it because it's wrong. We stay away from sin now, and we, we are submitted to the Holy Spirit of God because we're in a relationship with the Son and the Father. That's why... I mean, it's not so much as I'm interested in just checking off the do right box as much as it is I'm interested in living in a functional relationship with the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. It says in uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, and I'm going to finish in a second. Don't worry. Well, I don't know. Hopefully all the Presbyterians are on vacation too. We can beat them to the restaurants, you know. Or those mega super monster churches that have their early service. I'm trying to sneak in there before we can get there. All right. I'm, that's not why they have them. Not totally. But anyways. <laughs> First Peter 2.24. Who is own self, speaking of Jesus, in his own body on the tree. Excuse me, I read that wrong. That wrong. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, now notice what it says here, that we being dead to sins, and that's interesting, it doesn't say sin there, it says sins. The activity of the Greek word harmatia, which is sin, this is the activity of making sinful choices. And he says there that we are, we're being dead to sin. We should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Now, this verse, and this is the way that I've always interpreted this verse. And uh, I'm open for new interpretation. Um, and I don't want to mean like it's a private thing, like I'm the only one that understands it. There's a whole verse that talks about that too. But in the context of what he's talking about here, this healing that's going on here, God is talking about the healing of who we are because of the damage that sin has caused to you and I. That's where the healing's at. And if that were it, that would be great. That'd be good enough, wouldn't it? And I believe it has many other implications physically and mentally and emotionally and all that comes with it. But understand that what God is trying to get across to us in this scenario is this. See, I don't deal with sin on a judicial matter. I deal with sin because of what it has done, what it has done, and what it will do to you. That's what he's dealing with here. It's not just a I want you to do right because it may that's the way we are with our kids sometimes. Let's be honest. We want our kids to do what's right because it makes us feel better as a parent. Maybe I'm just talking about me. Somebody could have said amen and bailed me out there. Lydia, help me out. You don't have any kids, but just say amen. Or for them. Thank you. Good. Wow. No, don't leave me out there on that line and leave me hanging, mom and dad. Come on. <laughs> but it's like that sometimes. If it wasn't, you wouldn't get embarrassed by what some of the kids, your kids do and say sometimes in public, you know. <laughs> now, that's better. That's better. Thank you. I'll take those giggles as an amen. All right. You see, God doesn't want us to, do, to uh, stay away from sin just simply so he doesn't have to say, look at what my kids are doing now. You know, look at them, boy. You know, snap his suspenders. Look at them. That's my boy. You know, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you were with me on that imagery. But uh, it's more than that. It's, I mean, that is, is it, Jesus is proud of who you are. Because of what he's done for you and what he's made you. All right? That's the, 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 the pride of a, a parent can be seen when you just hold the baby and you're just proud of it and it's just sitting there and all it does is make a mess. All right? Makes a mess. You will find this out. All it does is make a mess and make noise. All right? And wants your attention at inconvenient times and it doesn't end. Even though you're grown, it does not end. <laughs> it's just different things. I better move on. All right, it's 12 o'clock. I, I don't, I'm not, there's not going to happen. i got like a page and a half of notes left. Let's go back over to uh, Matthew 11, 28. I want to read it again, and we'll close it down. All right. Jesus says, come unto me. You know what that implies? There's nothing blocking you to get there. He says, come unto me, all you who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't earn it. You get it. He says, take my yoke upon you for I, and learn of me. You know what that means? There's ways that we think that need to be flushed. They need to be out of there. And the reason why there's so much chaos in our life is because we think wrong. And he wants to change that for us. Learn of me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
His heart's not split in two. There's not two Jesus hearts where he's struggling one way and struggling this way. It's one whole heart that isn't tumultuous. It isn't, it isn't full of anxiety. And I'm not slamming anybody that deals with anxiety. I, I deal with it too. We all do. And he says, and you will find rest. And what does he say? Does he say spirit? What does he say? He says your soul. He says your soul. The reason why he says that is because God knows what goes on in the soul. He knows how deep the cuts are. He knows what the hurt is like. And when he goes to heal you and I, he's healed us spiritually at Calvary. Boom, done. It's over. It's like we sang this morning, it's finished, it is over, it is done. It's complete, this period, end of the story. Not a question mark, not dot, dot, dot. It's done. But soulishly, there's still a lot of wounds that we carry. And God ministers to us by his spirit, through our spirit, right into where the soul is. And that's what, when, when, when we say God is our healer, and I'm all for physical healing. I've got some things I need to be physically healed or what, you know, same just like you. But when it comes down to it, when Jesus, everything that he does, whether it's physically is, and spiritually, is to bring about the whole man. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and as we've born, I think it's verse number 25, and as we've born the image of the earthy, so we also must bear the image of the heavenly man. And see, that's what God's goal is, is to, that we might enjoy living in the image of the resurrected Son of God. That's where the healing comes from. Change is Jesus. Change is not something Jesus brings. Change is Jesus. So let's pray. All right, Lord, thanks so much. Uh, we all need a healing in our lives in various areas for various reasons. Um, you know where those things are. And, Lord, your grace doesn't just ignore those things. It doesn't stand on the other side of the hurt and point at it and say, what have you done? Uh, grace, because of grace, you stand right next to us, shoulder to shoulder, as we look at the mess and you say, this is going to be, we're, we're going to work on this. This is going to be fixed. And so uh, we're thankful that uh, we don't operate in our mess alone. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.